Welcome to today's Deep Space Podcast. I'm Mary Lynn Jitmar, President and CEO of the Coalition for Deep Space Exploration. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming an old friend, Mike Suffredini. Mike is President and CEO and co-founder of Axiom Space. Axiom is building the first internationally available commercial space station. Mike Separdini has more than 30 years of experience in human spaceflight and served as NASA's International Space Station Program Manager for a decade prior to his retirement in late 2015. During his tenure, Mike successfully led the transition of the ISS program from a development and assembly focus to a research and commercial utilization focus, opening avenues for a new commercial marketplace in space. Mike is the recipient of numerous awards, including the NASA Distinguished Service Medal, the NASA Outstanding Leadership Medal, the National Air and Space Museum Trophy, and the Yuri Gagarin Medal. In addition, Mike has had the rank of Meritorious Executive and rank of Distinguished Executive conferred on him by the President of the United States. Mike, welcome to Deep Space Podcast. Thank you so much, Mary Lynn. It's great to speak with you again. So we're going to start by kind of reaching back a little bit into your history. Um, You were involved with the ISS for 20 years. How different is it when you think about how you came to station, where station was in its own development then to now, and looking forward to building a commercial space station? It's dramatically different. You know, when we, um, I was asked to come to the ISS program. I was happy doing the shuttle thing and uh, was sort of asked slash directed to come to the ISS program. And at that time, we just transitioned uh, to the program we have today. We hadn't even finished the contracts with uh, with the Boeing company and others to kind of settle out the, that transition. And so all of that was still in front of us. We're still trying to figure out how to design this thing. We had this flat $2 million, $2 billion a year budget we were supposed to work under. Um, and the whole thing was about, can we build a sophisticated spacecraft that would meet the needs of all the partners uh, for the amount of money we had? And so that it was never really about commercial. It was about this ability for uh, a number of countries to work together to build a platform uh, that we'd all use together but had to meet the individual needs of the countries involved. And that, as you can imagine, was an amazing undertaking. And it was the complete focus of all of us for the many years leading up to the to the launch and assembly phase where, as you remember, none of that hardware saw its mate uh, hardware-wise. So we never put any two elements together. Some, some were built in other countries. They all came together in orbit for the first time. And, uh, and, uh, and that was our focus, right? Can we, can we do this successfully? There, we know we had the EVA count. We had uh, all this hardware was designed to fly up. And if we couldn't connect it, put it back in the shuttle bay and bring it home and try again later. Fortunately, we never did that. Um, so that was really the focus. And the idea that the future was commercial users in space was certainly something that occasionally popped up of why are we doing this conversation. But man, when we were, we were in a thick of trying to figure out how to put this thing on orbit and do it safely and successfully was, uh, was a far cry from where we are to now. Of course, now we, we've learned a ton by having the space station, everything from 
should we have done it the design this way? What do we worry about? Do we still need to worry about those things? The whole idea that that shuttle flights, you know, were were sprints and ISS was a marathon and how to change your whole thought process. The fact that if you didn't want to fly a shuttle flight, you just kept it on the ground till you were happy. But with ISS, you didn't have that option. Doing nothing wasn't an option. We had a crew on board. We had a vehicle that had to be maintained and taken care of. So just all those sorts of things that we dealt with and we learned from that put us where we are today, where we're thinking, you know what, in order for the governments to do what governments do, which is, you know, basically explore, they don't really once you explore you you know you this whole thing is based on you know every version of over history of uh, exploration leading to pioneering leading to settlers and and at some point there's people who take advantage and sell things and and commercial picks up and you know becomes self-sustaining and that's exactly what we have to think about when we go beyond low earth orbit we got to have something in earth orbit and we're learning that it it can be done, but we, you know, you had to, we had to have done space station to really convince ourselves it was possible. That's kind of a long-winded answer. Well, that's okay. I, I mean, I think there's a couple of really good points in there and they get lost um, in some discussions, especially with folks who are really excited about what the future of space holds and they're coming into the field now. Um, but, you know, folks like us that have been around for a while, right, and saw that transition from shuttle to a model that involves continuous operations. I mean, one thing now, right, there's a tremendous amount of excitement about launch companies and people get all stirred up thinking about the launch and, and all the rest of that, but it's like, yeah, and what do you do once you get there? Um, and so getting there, you know, that whole, I, I certainly remember a lot of those discussions, many of them painful about how do we make that transition <laughs> from a shuttle operations model where you ran maybe two weeks, right, um, to a, a model where you're doing continuous operations. And then that changes your business approach by the time you finally do get to business, right? Because what you're doing with Axiom Space is you want to build up to the capability of offering, in effect, continuous operations and everything that that means to customers. Do I have that right? Right, exactly. And, and furthermore, we as a country are focusing uh, what's, um, what you're involved with um, in enormous fashion over the last several years with the idea that we're going to explore beyond low Earth orbit. And the fact that when we go beyond low Earth orbit, something many people don't necessarily appreciate or understand, we still have to have a low Earth orbit platform. And so we need to get to this point where use commercial users as well as government users can buy time in low Earth orbit that they need and not have to own and operate the infrastructure. And so that's a critical part of this next step in, in the journey of human exploration. And that's a role that, that you're angling to fulfill, right, with Axiom, is to provide that next step um, to maintain that presence in low Earth orbit. Tourism, research, where do you see your major revenue streams, right? You're talking about paying customers. So how do yeah. you think about those? Yeah, and it's an evolving thing, right? So today we identify them, we, we put them into six categories. We have uh, professional astronauts, and they, these would be countries that – 
want to either have a human space-like program or have a fledgling one that needs more access to space. Uh, you know, anybody that doesn't have access to ISS today, generally speaking, um, and and there's a number of countries that are, of course, getting involved in space flight. So, um, so these countries that want to fly to space are professional astronauts, as we call them. These are individuals trained as professional astronauts and generally represent a country. Then there's tourism, which we all know well as a number of names, uh, space flight participants, tourists. We call them private astronauts, uh, which is a little confusing with how NASA says it, but anyway, that's how we identify a private astronaut. Then you have research. Um, uh, that's a well-known one. Manufacturing, which is very, very, just bar barely even in a nascent stage, but I think will be the big boon in orbit next decade or so. Um, then you have uh, exploration systems testing. So this is where you fly, you know, we test technologies all the time in low Earth orbit, but this is the idea where you fly the system that you want to use to keep people healthy and happy on their way to, say, Mars and back, which is a long journey. So you really need to ring them out for, you know, a year or two on orbit to make sure you know all the design flaws or have been tripped over and you've, you've fixed them. And then the last one we call it, we group it as media and advertising, but it's, you know, it's everything from uh, doing, I don't know, shows on orbit to uh, um, advertising on orbit, branding, all those things kind of fall in that category. So that's how we break out our customer base. And some of those customers are, are bigger now. Um, countries and tourists, we imagine, will be the larger customer early on. Research is probably a little later on because the governments do the lion's share of that. But any research leading to manufacturing that NASA is really helping grow today, though as they get to the point where they're ready to create a product, then they, they have to buy that service ultimately. And so we'll be here for that. That's a relatively small part of our revenue stream. Uh, the exploration system stuff will come here next couple, three years. I think we'll start getting serious about that. And, um, and of course, this advertising thing is always going on. You know, everything from uh, today, we have Laura Piana making the clothes for our crew and, and Omega is providing the watch. And so this whole branding, advertising, media thing will, will play a role, and in some cases, not an insignificant role, certainly not the cost of a ride to ISS, but, but, but significant from a revenue perspective. So when you think about the low Earth orbit market, right, it involves these six sectors that you have talked about. If you had a crystal ball, and of course, you've kind of got to have one, <laughs> um, how do you see that market evolving over the next 10 years? I mean, what are some of the complexities that are associated with that? Oh, goodness. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a bunch. You know, first of all, um, flying to orbit is an expensive um, event today, even, even today. I mean, really, the new commercial providers aren't really online quite yet, and, and they'll have to fly for a while and before competition starts to drive costs down a bit. So the first barrier is the fact that it takes an ultra-high net worth individual to fly as a private astronaut. Uh, from a country perspective, it's a lot of work with countries. You, you find the right people to talk to, that's easy enough to do. But countries are all the same, regardless of what they might tell you. They don't have a bunch of money sitting in a pot to go spend. So 
you convince them it's a good idea, they have to go work with the government to convince them it's a good idea, then somebody has to put it in the budget, and then they have to argue about it for a couple of years. So so countries take a while. So, so you know, you have to work through that part of the curve of growing it. Like I said, research will, will probably always be uh, that'll be kind of low down on the list of things that we make money off of, uh, mostly because the governments do that today. And we can play a role in some of that government research, but that's a that's a lower number. So that's something that'll kind of step up uh, towards the end of uh, the life of ISS. Manufacturing is the one that you, you, you can draw any curve you want to, Mary Lynn. So uh, my curve looks a little asymptotic, so it stays low for a while and then I think really starts to shoot up as more and more people understand the benefits of that. Um, like I said about advertising, it's uh, and media. I think that one will be, you know, it's it will never be. Well, I don't know. My my sense is it'll never be a giant, a number, but it'll be a it'll be, a, you know, it'll be significant and it'll be, uh, you know, with every passing year and you doing amazing things. I think the opportunities grow, so that would be a growing market. You see the trend, they're all pretty low early on. It's a lot of work right now to bring customers on. And I think uh, the curve starts to go up as more and more people be come to realize either A, that access is possible, or B, um, that the cost has come down low enough, or C, they finally understand why space would be good for them. And so all of those things are relatively early in their development, and, and that's part of our, our uh, company's job is to help grow those markets. Well, you know, that's a, I mean, it's such a challenge, and I think uh, people don't realize sometimes just how labor-intensive business development is. Um, as someone who's owned a couple of companies myself, as well as helped some other folks in other companies um, develop business, right, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a lot of work uh, to do that. and. And you are in a position where you're really at the leading edge, right? Trying to convince people, not only customers to come on board, that you're going to be able to develop goods and services and deliver them in a reliable manner, but manner, but, but also um, financiers, right? So how does a space entrepreneur go about finding financing? Well, you have to have uh, perseverance. <laughs> That's <laughs> the first thing. Um, you know, we started, it's a fantastic question. So we started the company with an idea. Um, and at that point, NASA had kind of said, you know, we're not building the next one. So it was already kind of out there that a commercial guy guy or gal could go off and do this. And so when Dr. Cam Gifarian and I, and he was the owner of SGT when we, when we met, got together and decided we want to go do this, he, you know, he gave us a seed investment and, uh, you know, patted me on the head and said, okay, let's, you know, go build a space station. So the first step for me, because I already had a sense, you know, with my background of, you know, what maybe the customers were and where it might come from and that there really was very little growing right now, was that we needed a good person to help us with, uh, you know, how to talk to the investors. Um, as we as we worked through our seed, seed investment, we were going to have to have, continue to have funds. So that is like, you know, that is step one is figure that out. But you find out pretty quickly. Step two is you got to convince investors uh, that you're going to be viable. And we had a few things that we were talking to about, one of which we just talked about having won the award 
uh, to attach our space station to the ISS, which is a, a big step in our process, but you have to convince them you have the customers. So you can imagine when you go talk to investors about something they don't understand, nobody understands human spaceflight. They understand rockets and satellites, but human spaceflight, they have no clue. So you go in there and say, hey, we've got this great thing. People are going to be dying to come. Countries will be dying to come. All these things can go on. ISS won't last forever. And they say, okay, thank you. I understand that math, but where are your customers? So it's what exactly what you said. The very next thing you have to do is go start building that customer base. And, you know, it's uh, – and, and, by the way, when you talk about intellectual property, how you build your customer base is, is you know, something you learn through, through – uh, sweat and and hard work and uh and you don't and you protect that vehemently right but we have you know we have now learned certain techniques uh and we're learning every day more techniques for all six of those those um business streams and some of that stuff i mentioned is part of what you said it's it's a lot of work talking to a country is a ton of work just finding the right person to talk to and and then getting to the right and, and it's not about a person, it's about the right handful of people that are influencers. Um, and then ultimately, where does the money come from? Do they have the resource? I mean, all of this is very labor intensive. So you're right, a big chunk of our company is uh, a, is about figuring out how to grow the different revenue streams. Some some are much easier to imagine and some are, are, are much more difficult. So talking about how labor intensive all this is, and and I know because of previous conversations that you and I have had that this has been a journey for you too, right? Um, leaving the government program and, and moving into a very challenging and exciting uh, area to develop a commercial space station. But I gotta ask you, Mike, you've been at this for a long time, man. Why space? <laughs> you know what? So I wish I had a really good answer for that, but it's it's very very simple. I um, I was I went to the University of Texas and and got into aerospace engineering because I liked high performance jet aircraft. That's what I was all about, man. Aircraft design, the whole bit. And somewhere along the way, I had to take a um, elective within the course, so I took uh, an. Aero, um, orbital mechanics course it was called by Dr. Victor Zebehe, very uh, at the time very well known uh, astrophysicist who um, who I thought I I didn't know who I was getting I picked this guy I didn't know he was from Adam he was an older gentleman looked a lot like Yoda now that I think about it <laughs> and he was able to explain orbital mechanics in a way that just just won me over and ultimately he wrote a program that. You know, you were doing a launch, but as you know, when you do a launch with a satellite, you know, you got to be in a certain spot on orbit at a certain time, and your batteries are only so good, so you got to get to the sun at the right time, and blah, 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 all those things. And through that whole course, we went through each one of those, and over time built a, a program that decided how you would, when you would launch, and what you would do um, to put a satellite into orbit, and I was really captured at that time. So when I, I took other courses in astrophysics, and um, when I graduated, I, I really talked to a number of companies, and um, 
And the in the end, McDonnell Douglas hired me to come over to NASA. But they weren't the only people I talked to still to aircraft companies and stuff. I wasn't like I was drooling to get over here to do to do space. And honestly, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas. I didn't really want to live in Houston, Texas. And um, <laughs> but you know, life life has a way of of a, you know to giving you things to deal with. And I came here and I just loved it. I started off in operations, and in operations, you get involved in a lot of aspects of it. And, um, you know, once I started getting to the point where I could um, see, you know, I could see where the where this was going, even in my shuttle management day, orbiter project management days, I could see where the world was going and, and had this vision. And it, the job is compelling. The, the work is important. And it always, to me, was about, um, you know, where we were going as, as humanity and a species. I mean, what's the where, where, what is our path? Are we going to? Um, are we are we going to stay here on Earth, or do we need to figure out how to live off the planet? And I've always been convinced that all of this spaceflight stuff we were doing was about helping humanity step off the Earth, so that you know someday. Well, first, because there's a lot of benefits to, to figure out how to utilize the microgravity environment, but you know someday maybe this planet won't be inhabitable, and and as a species for us to survive, you really got to figure out how to live off the planet and that's really what drove me but I didn't I didn't bring this passion from the day I watched you know Neil step on the moon just like all of us I watched in front of a black and white tv with my dad and my family and we were very you know awestruck by the whole event and but you know and that always stayed with me but that didn't drive me here I kind of got driven here um but I, boy I picked up the banner and ran with it after that yeah once you got the bit in the teeth you were out of there Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the way it works. Well, you know, thinking about going into deep space, um, and you're right, obviously the coalition does a lot with that, and I've been focused on both low Earth orbit and um, extending from everything we're learning there into deep space. Where does Axiom fit in that? Um, you've talked a little bit about providing a commercial space station and maintaining that presence in low Earth orbit, continuing to develop the kinds of capabilities that we need both there but looking forward where does where does axiom fit you know nasa has this program that they're calling artemis now right to return to the moon and establish a permanent and sustainable presence there how does axiom what axiom's doing now fit into that well what we say is we're really trying to um you know come up as as um as countries and governments explore, we want to kind of fill in behind them. Um, and so today, the most obvious spot for that is low Earth orbit. And this uh, this lunar stuff to us is intriguing, but we're not sure there's a commercial market. I mean, many people aren't sure there's a commercial market in low Earth orbit yet, and certainly right. we have yet to grow one. So as a company, we are laser focused on on building this station and making it successful. As a as we look forward, it's about, okay, where do things go? So the natural evolution is is uh, perhaps this lunar space, um, if that turns out to be a place where there's a, a market can grow. But we really, we do want to follow, but um, I, I think um, we talk in over-optimistic terms, this idea of commercializing some of this lunar stuff right now. I, I think it might be a little early you know, we just need to see how things shake out. Do the, if the governments don't really go in earnest, it'll, you know, commercial, quote unquote, commercial probably 
won't be successful if they go and establish a base and stay and really situate themselves there then I think there'll there'll be something going and we would we just want to be in a position to to bring the truly commercial private investment uh, to bear when there's actually a market uh, that's not just the government but other users as well yeah and what you're describing goes back to that importance right between the uh, contributions of governments and the willingness of governments to continue to step out um, in partnership with other governments as well as with industry and commercial interests, right? It's taking, it takes all of that, um, yeah. both to establish a, a hopefully a, a, what is just now a, a barely emerging market in low earth orbit, as well as um, it perhaps extend one over the next decades into deep space. So one last yes. question, Mike, um, because of the journey that you've been on, and um, what advice would you give to people who are thinking about starting a space business? What do you know now that you didn't know then um, that you think would be helpful to people who are thinking about it? You know, that is, a, that is an excellent question, Mary Lynn, and uh, I've been so immersed in doing it that I'm afraid I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. But I'll, I'll tell you this, when you um, when you want to strike out to do something, it will be much harder than you imagine it to be. It doesn't matter what anybody tells you. It's going to be much, much harder than you imagine it to be. I think it was Mark Twain that says it takes to to um, embark on a on a journey like this. You have to have equal part confidence and ignorance and 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 four years into it, I kind of buy into that. If I knew all the pitfalls, you know, you would have probably had a second guess. So you really need to go in with that eye. But anything worth doing, nobody else, when you think about it, is because of the position we're in doing what we're doing today. To, to say we're off building a privately funded space station, and really at the magnitude of what we're talking about and how we're talking about doing, there really is nobody else talking about that. In order to embark on these kinds of things, it's worth it. It energizes you. It, it really gives you a new lease on life. It allows you to get out and do things that you never have done before. It broadens your perspective. So that's not very useful information, but I'll, I, I can say these two things. I can say it's going to be hard to imagine, and it's worth more than you ever thought it'd be worth. And this has really been this really been a fun journey so far, and we just barely got started. Well, actually, I think that's very useful information. So. Um, and it's going to take visionaries like you and, and Cam and others to, to make this future a reality. So on behalf of everyone who is working forward, uh, thinking forward, trying to lean forward, I just really want to thank you for everything that you're doing and the folks at your company are doing. And also want to thank you for spending some time to get today with us because I know you're very busy. So thank you, Mike. Listen, I, I got to say, before I let you go, Mary Lynn, you are the leader uh, in, in exploration. There is nobody pulling all the pieces together more than you single-handedly are doing. So my thanks to you for that, because that is our future. So I enjoyed the, the, the chat today, and I appreciate everything you do. And, uh, and I'm not, I love knowing you as a human being. So you have a great day. Well, that's mutual, Mike. You too. Take care.